I you're just, being bossy. I'm not being bossy. Bossy, bossy, bossy. Welcome to Hip and Humble. I'm Aram. And I'm Mom. And we wanted to welcome you to our show, where we talk about all things antique and collectibles. Uh, this week, we are extending our talk on playing cards. Yes. Because mm-hmm. you know what? It is a kind of dreary, rainy, not freezing cold, but a little cool outside. You know, it's not a day you want to be outside. It's a day you want to be inside playing cards. Playing cards. Mm-hmm. It's a good activity. Yeah, it's a beautiful activity, especially for a day like today, whenever you can have people come over and socialize without uh, having to feel the bleakness of the wet, cold outside. As long as apparently you're socially distant. Yes, yes. It is still that time in 2020, if those of you are listening to this in the future, 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 future. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like us who have a relatively large family and more coming in and we've all been around each other the whole time and you know we can all play cards as a family that's exactly right and if you're stuck in your house with your family that's a fun activity yeah it with absolutely a is long history with an incredible and long history yes yeah, but before we get started on that, we want to thank our sponsors, Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. We got two locations, uh, one in Oklahoma, just outside of Oklahoma City, in Bethany, Oklahoma, and the Rink Gallery. That's our Changing Seasons booth. Our Hip and Humble booth is in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia, at Oldies But Goodies, right there on Caroline Street. For those of you that are not local or not all about driving, we also have an Etsy store, Hip and Humble Antiques. Check that out on Etsy. And if you don't find anything that tickles your fancy at the moment, I promise we will have something for you soon. Yep. Yep. And we also want to thank our uh, WGSN DB Going Solo Network. We want to welcome you guys, and we hope you guys are having as much fun being here as we we have as much fun. Uh, He still can't talk today, folks. Evidently, I can't talk. But we hope you guys are having as much fun here as we are having having you on. Yes, having you join us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And feel free to message and message us and say, hey, you know what? I'd really like to hear you guys talk about this or, you know, can you find this object or I'm really interested and learning about collecting whatever you can fill in the blank absolutely we're always looking for new stuff to talk about we love researching it you know this is our passion this is what we really like and i really think that it gives a, a a very tangible connection from past to present and i think it helps us understand our present and the evolution and cycles of culture yeah, it really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it brings us all kind of unites everybody. Absolutely. A lot like the cards. A lot like the cards. I mean, if you right. guys are following along, cards in general have had a unique experience throughout history because they've taken from each of the cultures that have most prominently produced them based on different manufacturing qualities, but they've also kind of kept their roots from different cultures yeah Uh, Yeah. each culture just kind of added a 
diff- a little bit different flavor to the soup pot. Right. And the, the most interesting thing that we were commenting on last week was the fact that the French started naming the cards and the names of the characters within the cards kind of tied the four major ancient uh, histor- historical societies together within cards. Yeah, throughout different eras of history. Correct. So it wasn't just, you know, one era, but a lot of, a lot of them. Absolutely. I mean, like we, like we said last week, we had the king, King David for the king of spades, Alexander the Great for the king of clubs, Charlemagne for the king of hearts, and Julius Caesar for diamonds. And then we had the Greek goddess Athena for spades, Judith for heart, Jacob's wife Rachel for diamonds, and Arjean for clubs. And then they had, you know, a knight, Charlemagne's knight, Ogier, for spades, hero, or Hector, the hero of Troy, for diamonds, and King Arthur's knight, Lancelot, for the knight of clubs. Those would be the jacks. Those are the jacks, yeah, because as we've discussed before, the court cards used to be either knaves, which would be um, basically prominent members within the royal court, or... They were princes and knaves. So the Spanish cards actually didn't feature a queen. But if you want to learn more about that, check out last week's episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moving on this week, after the naming convention for the different kings, uh, queen, did the different court cards um, within the suits that came from the French, the standardization eventually followed. And when that standardization began to happen, which was accelerated in the 1700s, it was actually because of the taxing on playing cards. Because as we talked about before, a lot of times the playing cards were uh, deemed as immoral or seedy, if you will. The church was uh, very prominently against playing cards and, and because of their connotation to gambling and so on. Well, if you'll notice... That they were being taxed, but it was only when the playing cards immigrated to England that the common design began to dominate. Mm-hmm. And English loved taxing. Oh, yeah. Before the English tax, the French actually started taxing cards super heavily. And because of that, the card manufacturers ended up immigrating to Belgium to continue production. So let that be a lesson, people. If the government starts taxing people that are making money to the point where they can't make enough money to cover their expenses, they will move countries. Yeah. Well, and, you can blame them. I mean, you can't. You know, if 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 I'm going to start a business, I'm in the business to make money to provide for myself, my family, and my employees. If the government that I or if the government of the country that my business resides under taxes me to the point where I can do none of those things, then, you know, as a tight, or, you know, as the head of an industry or the head of a supplier of a certain product, then I'm going to move to a place where I can continue doing the things that I set out to do, namely provide for me, my family, and my employees and their families. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think everybody gets into. Not everybody, but people, self-made people get into different industries because they love what they do. Right. But I mean, you and I. get to a point where you can't eat. Yeah. You know, that's a problem. Right. I mean, you and I started doing this because of what we love. And, you know, this is, 
you know, this is something that brings us together and something that we love to share with everyone. And hopefully, you know, people like what we're doing enough and, and so on. But the, this kind of thing is, you know, what we want and what we have or what we have to give. But if we're not able to provide because of it or whatever, then we, we would move to a different place where we were able to do that. That's true. Very true. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. But like you said, uh, well, speaking about those taxes in France, um, as with most things, the French did it before the English, but don't tell them I said that. Yeah, you better not. <laughs> but because of those taxes uh, in France and the card manufacturers moving to England, and also it's rumored that a lot of the French soldiers going over to England brought DEXA cards over. Uh, but it was mainly after the manufacturers moved to Belgium that cards started moving pretty heavily and predominantly into England. The English renamed the suits to their surviving names. So they're the ones that, um, that basically named the cards that we have now being hearts, spades, clubs, and diamonds. Right. The, the two, the two suits that they changed were the pikes and the clovers from the French. And it's funny because I have known people throughout my life that have still referred to the spade, not spades, um, uh, clubs as clovers, but, yeah. Yeah. Which it's it's interesting that that was in the 17th century that that changed, but Well, I remember that. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time that they were clovers. Yeah. Well, and it's funny and they because like it clovers. It kind of it kind of depends on like what family you've grown up in, I've noticed, because some people call them clovers and some people call them clubs. But I guess because it looks like a clover that I always thought they were clovers. Yeah. Well, I, and when I think of a club, I think of, you know, something that kind of looks like a baseball bat. Right. But uh, some of the Belgians, oh, we already talked about it. some of the Belgians started <laughs> distributing into England. Um, so their contributions included renaming the different suits and they are the one who gave honor to the Ace of Spades. Yeah. Food's ready. We my know. husband's come down to tell me he wants pizza, and he brought my little puppy, Angus. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Angus, they, we call him Courtesy Licks. Courtesy Licks, yeah, he gives those. So, but now he's going to go follow his dad because dad there's has food. food. Yeah, there's food. Food trumps all. Mm-hmm. In the world of a dog. Oh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> But the English are also the, re- they also gave honor to the Ace of Spades. Um, the reason that the Ace of Spades is significant is because of taxation laws. Okay. Yeah. At first, each deck of cards had to be hand stamped by the manufacturers to show that the taxes had been paid. Kind of on- sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Almost, you know, like, I don't know. <gasps> Tea party. Just like Boston that. Tea Party. Mm-hmm. They're really mm-hmm. big on those stamps. They're really big on those stamps. Which, FYI, those are, are very collectible. Yeah, all <laughs> of the taxation stamps are super collectible. Yeah. Very rare, too. Very rare. Mm-hmm. But at first, the the manufacturers had the stamp, and they had to stamp each one of the, the decks of cards to show that the taxes were paid on that deck of cards and because the ace was the last card to be made on each deck that was the card that always got stamped well to prevent tax evasion 
um, that evolved into the process of purchasing the Ace of Spades from the tax commission. Um, from that point on, the commission and the manufacturer had to have their embellishments on each deck of cards, which led them both to having very elaborate designs. So basically, whatever tax commission that the manufacturer bought their card, bought the Ace of Spades from, they would have to buy the, that commission's um, emblem, and then they would have to come up with an emblem of their own to uh, have the tax commission stamp onto their card. So... All of these different manufacturers had really intricate and beautiful stamps that they would put on their Ace of Spades. And that is why the Ace of Spades is significant. And that's why Spades is a cool game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many things come out of being overtaxed. Yeah. And how difficult it seems to make life. Well, not only does it make it difficult. Oh, well, I, I, not not that it makes it difficult and it's amazing to see how people have turned those difficulties into beautiful things. Yeah. You know, without pain, you don't have growth without struggle. You don't have success and turning those painful things into success is a cornerstone of innovation within human history. That's true. Very true. Mm -hmm. Very true. But in the U.S., um, because that is the next logical step after talking about taxes in England. Yep. Tea party, tea party. <laughs> the uh, United States, for a long time, actually relied on English imports as playing cards. So they were pretty late to leave their mark on the industry. But the thing that the U.S. ended up adding were the Jokers. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> America, the Jokers. Yep, yep. It is kind of fitting. I wonder where those guys went. <laughs> of course, it seems like any time you play a game, the first thing you do is throw out the Jokers. Well, the majority of card games, yeah. But I will, well, I'll, I'll say that in two ways. The traditional or casino card games, yes, you don't play with Jokers. But a lot of like at home card games you use the jokers as wild cards. So if oh, you were yeah. if you were to play a five card stud or Texas Hold'em with Jokers, then basically you could make the Joker whatever card you need it to be. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't play a lot of cards. So I need to probably ought to sit down and play cards. Yeah. Figure it out. I yeah, like we dice. ought to play cards here soon enough. I like playing dice. Playing dice is nice. High low. <laughs> I like high-low dice. Yeah. Guys, if you're looking up to play, pick up different historic-looking play cards, check out playingcarddecks.com. Uh, we actually got a lot of the information on the history of playing cards from them, and they sell a lot of replica decks. And uh, playing card decks are really collectible. They're very interesting, and they're very beautiful. Um, like we were talking about in some of the previous episodes, the card decks that came from the different cultures had their own significance and in general they were very intricate and beautiful because until the French era and the English era of the manufacturing past the time of the Gutenberg press a lot of them were handmade or they were hand um, stamped with the or hand printed and the designs were very intricate and they were all hand handmade designs. Well, a lot of people now, they do collect cards, and 
any kind of uh, touristy thing that you go to at the gift shop, I'll bet you a dollar you can you can find a deck of cards. And it will have a deck of cards. Of course, we're right outside Washington, D.C., so, you know, the Museum of um, Art will have different art pieces on the backs of their cards for advertisement and um, Washington Monument and those kind of things. Uh, Mount Vernon has their set of deck of cards. So a lot of people, every time they travel, you know, some people collect T-shirts or shot glasses or spoons or, or hat pins. Hat pins, and some people collect the cards. And the cards are actually really cool. Yeah, they really are. Oh, there's so, a lot of, I mean, cards nowadays, there's so many different variations and interesting ones. I've actually seen a deck of cards nowadays where it's the, uh, the hard, the, not the hard plastic, but plastic, they're plastic cards, and they're clear. And, oh, really? Yeah, so they're clear cards, and on the um, faceless side, or the back of the deck... Um, there's little symbols, you know, the bicycle symbol or whatever that cover up each of the places in the card where the, uh, the nomenclature for that specific card would be on. And if you flip it over, then it corresponds with, you know, the king, queen, ace, one, two, oh. one through 10 or whatever. So basically <sighs> it's a see-through card and you can't see what the card is from the back of the card, but you can see through it. That's pretty cool. It was a it was a really cool deck of cards. Well, my youngest son, he collected cards for a while. He's got a whole bucket of them upstairs. Uh, but some of them are really pretty neat. So there's a lot of creativity. And, of course, now people use them for advertisement for their businesses and different things. So oh, yeah. Used to, businesses used to give away a lot of stuff for advertising. Mm-hmm. I mean, they give away uh, matchbooks. Matchbooks. Cards, um, napkins. Sewing. Sewing needles. Mm-hmm. So I like Thimbles. collecting the sewing needle um, booklets that they used to give. Yeah. And uh, used to, different manufacturers, uh, car insurance, whatever, they would give out, you know, kind of these little um, sewing or little kit that would have different uh, set of sewing needles in it so especially world war ii oh yeah there was a lot of sewing stuff from that um, era that people would just pick up and collect because women were always sewing this that and the other for you know working they mm-hmm. had to go to work it's funny by world war ii era the majority of the card manufacturers were american Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm, because after, you know, the Tea Party and all that good stuff and the addition of the Jokers and the standardization of the 54-card deck, um, the taxation in England uh, really got to the manufacturers, and so they moved their moved their stuff over to the United States. And that's where the majority of cards are manufactured today, even yeah. still. So we took it over. Mm-hmm. Ended with us. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if Canada will pick it up. I wonder. I wonder what they would add. Maybe change the clovers to leaves. Oak leaves. Bop, pop, bear paw prints. Oh, paw prints might be one. Yeah, but the oak leaf, the Canadian maple leaf. Maple leaf, that's right, not the oak leaf. Canadian maple leaf. Yeah. That would be, I don't know. Yeah. I do not know. But... Moving on from the specific history of the creation of cards, one of the, as we mentioned before, cards have an incredibly colorful history, and one of the really cool things about cards is its influence in the world of illusion and magic. Illusion? And magic. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. 
Okay. And we'll talk more about that here in just a sec. Just a second. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Kaylin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Tea Time Thoughts. Do you ever wish you could learn more about history, books, music, art, and culture, but you just don't know where to start? I totally feel your pain. Learning about all these things can be so overwhelming. Well, I want to change all of that for you. In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today. Yes. Yes, we are. Welcome back to Hip and Humble. Humble. Yes, I'm still Aram. And I'm still the mom. And we're still talking about all things antique and collectibles, specifically playing cards. Yep. Mm-hmm. On the last couple of episodes, we were talking about the history of playing cards and the different contribution, the different cultures and different elements of manufacturing have had on them and how they've really evolved into what they are today. Yeah. They have quite the history. They have quite the colorful history. And before we keep going, we want to mention our sponsors again, Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. If you guys are not following us on Instagram, please do. Hipin.humble, that's H-I-P-N, period, humble, on Instagram. We post all of our updates for all of our episodes, where everything is posted, what we're talking about, our weird finds of the weeks, and all kinds of cool things all up on our Instagram page. And if you guys are thinking of something that you want us to talk about or thinking of something you want us to look for that you might be interested in purchasing as far as a collectible or antique item to have for yourself, then go ahead and follow us on Instagram, DM me or DM me or comment on any one of the posts and we will be happy to accommodate. Do we are always looking best. we're always looking for feedback and we love hearing from you guys. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we also want to thank the WGSNDB Going Solo Network. Um, you guys are awesome. If you guys are just tuning in after this break, um, we're just really glad that you're here. Glad that you're sharing this time with us. And thanks again for being here. And thanks for being a part of the WGSNDB Going Solo Network. Okay. Awesome. Now, we had just kind of tease the idea of magic magic mm-hmm. will amaze me Aaron. Oh, before i do that we want to amaze the people with our weird find of the week okay mm-hmm. it might be like a sleight of hand <laughs> that's really funny and whenever we describe it you'll understand why <laughs> well as you guys probably know i like marbles um and one of the marble com- companies here, Acro Agate, not only made marbles, but they made a lot of other things too. So at one point, we'll have to do a whole thing on marble history, but it, at one point they kind of needed to make a little bit more money. So they tried to kind of expand into other arenas. So they would make uh, planters and uh, tea sets, cups, all kinds of things. But ran across this awesome little vase. And it's, I don't know, how tall is that? Maybe three inches? Uh, It's about three and a half inches. Yeah, yeah. about three and a half inches. And it's a blue marble, blue acro agate marble vase. Mm -hmm. But when you look at it, 
it's literally a hand holding up the top of the vase. So it kind of yeah. looks like it's a hand hold, holding a tulip. Yeah, it kind of looks like a hand holding up a goblet. Yeah, because it's a, it's a pedestal one. So it's, you know, kind of got the pedestal, and then the hand morphs out into it, holding up the top. So it's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, Acra Agate, a lot of their accessory pieces is kind of what I call them, um, are very collectible. So mm-hmm. you'll, I have several, um, I don't know, several, I've got about four or five of the little toothpick holders. Like, they're little cornucopias. Um, toothpick holders. Now I've got a few of the little vases and uh, plant uh, one of the planters and stuff, but they're they're kind of fun to when you run across them because you don't run across them all the time. But I haven't seen one like this that was the little hand holding the the top of the vase. No, I, I, well, and it's really interesting that there's a lot of different companies for a lot of these novelty items that have kind of expanded into other areas to try to increase their profitability or so on and so forth. But it's it's always interesting to see their reach out of their specialty. Well, I think if I remember right, which I don't always remember correctly, but um, I think it was they started kind of making this at a time when they weren't uh, people weren't buying as many marbles well yeah so that, that makes sense i mean as as a company if you're, your supply and demand goes down then you're going to have to come up with something that so, is well, more these little supply, things kind of appeal to you know more people than just kids playing marbles so. right but you know i think the little tea sets are awesome oh so, they're super cool yeah because most of the time you think when people are playing marbles that it's boys sitting down there in the dirt playing marbles um so the tea set would really appeal to the little girls mm-hmm. especially at the time or to, well it could be boys and girls playing the little shot game with marbles well it could but i mean just typically that yeah. was kind of the way it was thought of i mean but um anyway it was they're pretty cool it's mm-hmm. pretty neat how they just they reached a whole nother audience and stuff but all of that uh, manufacturing was pretty short-lived. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't like these items were produced for 100 years. So it was a pretty short manufacturing period for a lot of these little specialty pieces. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I think he's cool. Yeah. I think he's cool. Bit of magic, too. Bit of magic. <laughs> <His> little hand. <laughs> a little hand. Speaking of hands good. and magic, uh, sleight of hands is one of the defining, I guess, characteristics of card play within the magic community. I guess so. I suppose so. And sleight of hand actually originated out of... <sighs> gambling in the old west we kind of touched on that uh, talking about the riverboat gambling on top of the mississippi in the days of wild bill hitchcock doc holliday bill jones white Earp, and bat masterson and so on and so forth in a lot of the different bigger towns like dodge city tombstone deadwood and so on the uh, gamblers would play well, you know they play with their backs to the wall and the guns of their sides they had um, caricatures you gotta know when to hold them you gotta know when to fold them no when to fold up. And you got to know when to walk away. And no when, when to, to run. run. <laughs> yeah. And back then they played a lot of different games. They played games like Chuck-A-Luck, Three Card Monty, High Dice, and Pharaoh. Pharaoh was by far the favorite one. And it's it's rumored to have been one of the founding, I guess, preliminary games to 
Texas Hold'em or poker. Yeah. At what? Pharaoh was the name of the game that was mo- the most prevalent back then. That was supposed to be one of the father games uh. of poker or Texas Hold'em. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, we talked about New Orleans being basically evolving as to be uh, evolving into one of America's first gambling cities because because the riverboat men, the plantation owners, and the farmers down there they were you know generally pretty wealthy, but they pursued the betting sport so that they could try to double or you know get more money. Yeah, the first casino actually was opened in New Orleans in 1822 by a man named John Davis. Yeah, the club, it was open for 24 hours. It provided gourmet food, liquor, roulette wheels, faro tables, poker, and other things. And they also had painted ladies and made sure that they were never far away. Painted ladies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, uh, after, of course, after John's club opened, uh, you know, they had tons of different imitators and so on built up around the area. Well, this actually created a new industry or a new profession. They had professional gamblers. And cheats, they would call them slicks or sharpers. Sharkers? Sharpers. S-H-A-R-P-R. Sharper. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the interesting or the funny thing about John's Casino in New Orleans was it was in an area, a waterfront area known as the Swamp. And generally the police stayed away from it because they were not not privy to going out there because it was a pretty violent area. There was uh, many times where people go into the casino and win a fortune only to get, get it robbed from them as soon as they walked out the door. I bet it was the mob. <laughs> I don't know if it was the mob back in the 1820s, but uh, in fact, hey, they got to start somewhere. Yeah, they did start somewhere, but it wasn't the 1820s. Oh, mm. You never know. Yeah, yeah. It's more whenever they started coming over, immigrate, mass immigration was pushed from Italy and Ireland and so on and so forth later in the 19, 18th and 19th century. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You never know. Yeah, you do never know. But professional gamblers themselves were, lar- were largely responsible for the reason that this blew up and it became what, what was known as the, the poker boom. And um, they, the different professional gamblers, basically to promote their profession and continue living the life that they did, they had to have these irresistible personalities so that they could interact or attract other men to play with them. They often dressed in really fancy clothes, and they, their success depended partly on chance and partly on skill, but sometimes it was sleight of hand. And in the Old West, their shooting abilities. <laughs> so... <laughs> By the 1830s, a lot of people used to blame professional gamblers for any and every crime in the area of gambling itself began to become attacked because these men, you know, they were they were slick talkers. They were, you know, they dressed really well, and uh, they always seemed to go to get away with a lot of money and leave a lot of people without money. So, yeah, it was an interesting time. There was a really fun table <coughs> about one of the sharps, uh, basically this man. A hapless traveler from Natchez sat down at a table with three professional gamblers. The naive young man, he lost all of his money and because the game was rigged. He was playing with three other professional gamblers. And he planned to throw himself into the river because he lost his entire life savings, his entire fortune that he'd ever made in his life. And obser- uh, But, uh, but uh, before he threw himself into the river, an observer... Uh, stopped him, and then he went over to the jo- the card game and joined joined it in with the sharps. 
In the middle of a high-stakes hand, the stranger caught one of the professionals cheating, and he pulled a knife on the gambler, and he yelled, Show your hand. If it contains more than five cards, I shall kill you. When he twisted the cheater's wrist, six cards fell to the table, and immediately the stranger took the $70,000 pot, returning $50,000 to the Natchez man, keeping 20000 for his troubles. There you go. Mm-hmm. The Natchez man uh, was really shocked afterwards, and he said, Who the devil are you anyway? And then the, the stranger responded, I'm James Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> and James Bowie was uh, another one of the famous gamblers of the time. Ah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was a long con, if you will. Well, if there's any game that's ever been, I think there's always been somebody that has tried to find a way to cheat. Yes. Now, of course, magic itself did not come from cheating. Magic itself came from ancient Egypt, actually. There were different, there are different paintings on the walls of tombs within Egypt that have designated different illusions or magic trips tricks including the very famous ball and cup trick that believed to originate from then and following the egyptian era magic was really clouded in secrecy because of course as people got more superstitious if you will the idea of tricking someone into seeing you know believing something that they they didn't actually you know seeing something they didn't actually see it became more and more uh, taboo, and they started, you know, writing laws against it, and they would kill magicians. And so, the artistry of illusion was secluded for a very long time. But around the, I don't think a lot of people, or maybe a lot of people do, but a lot, of, especially the Eastern, a lot of their society is very mystic. <laughs> oh, you very know, much. They so. have a lot of different mystic. I know. Father Vince was one of the priests that we have, and he was talking about uh, when Zacharias went out at night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, the Bible made a big mention about, you know, he went out at night. And, you know, for all of us, we're like, big deal. But back then, that's when they believed all the spirits came out. So if you went anywhere at night, it had to be something very important mm-hmm. to brave that superstition of going out and possibly meeting up with some sort of spirit mm-hmm. but that was part of their society at the time no yeah, that well that, that was part of the culture i mean uh catherine my my wife right now is actually she's reading <coughs> she's reading a book uh, that i'm definitely going to have to read because she explained the plot to me and basically it the synopsis from the beginning of the book is that there's a young woman who who lives in a town with the the people arrange marriages and this young man's wife dies and he's he leaves him alone with two children and so her family says all right well we're going to give you away to this man so that he you know you can take care of his children because he needs a wife for his children well you know she gets she she gets all up in a tiz and on the day of the wedding she runs out and her parents apparently prayed to the new god where she would pray to the old gods and people, the other people in the town that would pray to the old gods to, told her to make sure you don't, never pray to the old gods that only answer you at night. Well, she ran out of the church at night, and she didn't look up and didn't notice that the sun had gone down. Oh. And she started praying, you know, help me, help me out. You know, I'm, I'm freaking out. I don't want to marry this man, so on and so forth. And, you know, so one of the gods of the night answers... And basically she says, I just want to be free. Like, I don't want to have any ties to anyone. Like, I don't want, you know, I want to make my my own decisions. 
And, you know, she, he, first he basically says no, but then of course she offers up her soul and he says, all right, okay. And he curses her to this life where basically anytime she sees someone, as soon as they turn away from her, they forget that she exists. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's a really interesting book, but it's, it's based in the, the, those <laughs> superstitions or those old, the, um, the theology of those old um, polytheistic religions yeah. at the time that were very prevalent at that time. And, uh, you know, that mysticism and that uh, trickery, if you will, is very closely associated with the history of card tricks, which originated in the – well, actually, we don't know exactly when it originated, and that's what adds to the mystery. But because there are differing sources that tell differing tales of when card tricks originated – because, of course, cards, as we learned before, came out of the East, and there are rumors that there was different card tricks that came out of um, that time. But one of the most conclusive uh, – one of the most conclusive pieces of, pieces of evidence we have were – at least some of the first uh, literary mentions of card tricks were out of Italy, Spain, and France during the 15th century. Because in the 15th century, there was a piece of writing apparently unpublished and co-authored by no less than Leonardo da Vinci, which described a card trick performed performed by Giovanni de Gioson de Ferrara. Ah, Gioni, Gioni Ferrara. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any of you guys that watched the Da Vinci Code, actually, it'd be the next one, Angels and Demons. Angels and Demons, yeah. They had a whole thing about that. Obviously not incredible. I mean, incredibly historical accuracy, but yeah, the name is mentioned. The name is mentioned. Yeah. Well, the, the because of his charismatic personality, he was he was actually he was one of he was one of the first entertainers who was allowed to display his card magic tricks in a theater because, of course, in that time, the people. <coughs> There, I mean, there were a lot of laws and stipulations and card bans and so on and so forth, and a lot of bans on illusions or magic or trickery. But because he was such a, a boisterous, charismatic person, they allowed him to perform his card tricks in the theater. The impact was so profound that card magic specifically acquired its own unique identity. You know, magicians today, like David Blaine and David Copperfield, they have perfected and added to the history of card magic, you know, in the modern day and in, or in the present. Right. And, it. Yeah. They've, they've grown it and they've added their own, they've added their own flair and touch and so on and so forth. But, you know, magic, card magic itself is its own practice. You know, there are plenty of magicians nowadays that are solely card magicians, you know. It's pretty neat. It is. It is really cool. It's. It's interesting to see the, the profound effect that it's had on the culture of magic and illusion. Well, it's neat, you know, how it kind of evolved out of playing cards. A whole nother entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Which you know you could you could uh, jump onto that bunny trail and go. Go to a whole lot of places. Yes, you could. With the magic. Yep. But uh, we will get to more of this next week. Next week? Next week. Already? Yeah, we are out of time. Okay. Well, yeah. doesn't seem like it, you know, 
It's been that long. Well, it never is that long. We always have too much fun. We always get caught up in what we're saying. So That's true. Aram talks a lot. I Apparently, I do. Yeah, he came out talking. <laughs> yeah, well, my mom thinks I'm bossy, too, but I don't, I don't <laughs> she, think so. He is. I'm not. Just ask his brothers. That doesn't count because they're younger brothers. Of course they're going to say I'm bossy. Uh-huh. Yep. His wife will say it, too, but not when he's right there. Uh, That's not true. Yeah, I think it is. No, I don't think so. Yep. Nah. Mm-hmm. Well, but guys, if you really enjoy what we're doing, please go ahead and check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash hip and humble. Think about contributing. We always release our episodes there first. And if we get start getting subscribers on there, then we're going to start doing little special things for you guys. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So That's always kind of fun, too. Yeah. Yeah, I like doing that. You'd be a part of our like little hip and humble club. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to be hip and humble to be in the club. Hey, there we go. That's right. All right, guys. Thanks again so much. We really love that you guys are listening. And uh, if you guys have any feedback or you have anything that you want us to talk about going forward, please uh, check check up on our social media pages and send us a message or a comment, and we will comment. Absolutely. All right. We love you guys. Stay hip. And humble. All right. Bye. Bye.